time, you know that we've been going through the, uh, the books, the New Testament. And uh, today we find ourselves in Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. I was going to go through verses 8, but I think 5 through 8 deserve its own little section, and you'll see why as we, as we dive into it. But uh, if you remember last week, when we finished up chapter 1 of Philippians, that Paul had stated that he desired for the people in Philippi, the church in Philippi, the people that were living in, uh, and, and, and worshiping at the church at Philippi, they called them, of course, the Philippians. And the Philippians were probably one of his most favored, if not one of the greatest uh, churches that he had. And uh, as, as I've said before, the book of Philippians has been called the book of joy. There's a lot of joy in it. Paul talks about uh, rejoicing in the Lord always and, and in full joy. And, and he's always rejoicing of the gospel. And, uh, and, but the, the, whole, the whole stance of Paul himself, where he was at, if you remember, he was in prison. So there was really nothing to be joyful about. So we've called this section of scripture, finding joy in the darkness. Because Paul was in prison. He was ready to be executed. He didn't know what his fate was, but he knew that he had just limited time. And so he started writing these letters, which we call the, uh, the prison epistles. And he's talking to the people in Philippi, and he says, you know, just, just let your joy be, just be real. And, and I want you to know something. Now that I've, I've discipled you, I've, I've taught you, I've led you to Christ, and, and you've come to know who he is, you've gotten out of the darkness, and you're in a very dark world, and things are happening around you that, that is just beyond your control. You can't do things, you can't do anything about what's happening in the government. You can't do anything that's happening within your city. You can't really do anything. You can pray. And, and if you remember correctly, Jesus was never a political leader of any type, yet he was able to change the world. You know, our culture has changed, our times have changed, and everything about where we live at right now has changed. But the one thing that can stand solid is the Word of God. That never changes. Amen? God's Word doesn't change. God's Word changes me. And when we understand what God's Word is and how it is to be applied in our life, we take it systematically through, the, through each book and each, each uh, verse. And, and I don't go letter by letter, word by word, but I try to get the, the nuance of what Paul is trying to say and what he's trying to get across. And last week, he, he was talking to us that we should live a stable life. If you remember, living the worthy of the gospel. He says in uh, Philippians chapter 1, and the, the last few verses of Philippians chapter 1, he says this, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am upset or absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. He's already setting forth the the purpose and the goal of the church. And every church should be striving side by side. As I mentioned last week, the word Paul used there is the word that where we get our word athlete, to be striving, athlete, like, a, like an athlete does, side by side in a team, as team members. And we work together trying to accomplish the goal of winning the game. But here it's more important than any other game because this is not a game, beloved. We are standing in the midst of hell literally breaking loose. And so we need to strive together. And he says, you got to be of one mind. you got to be together in what you're doing. He says, uh, and especially because of, for the faith of the gospel, the gospel message, as we've heard many times before, the gospel message is not my testimony. The gospel message is not that God has a purpose for your life. And he, has, he loves you so much that he died for you. 
That's not the gospel. As good as it is and as, and as true as that is, Jesus did die for you. God does have a plan for you. But that's not the gospel message. The gospel message being that we, that we share the good news, gospel, good news. And in order to understand the good news, we had to understand the bad news. And we'll talk about that next week because it really fits more with the theme of what the uh, verses 5 through 8 really try to project. But the bad news is that we are all sinners and we deserve the wrath of God and we've sinned. And because we've sinned, we have to pay for that penalty. We have to pay for that sin. There's nothing that I can do to be able to receive salvation or enter into the kingdom of heaven. As a matter of fact, one of the most religious leaders came to Jesus by night and asked Jesus, his name was Nicodemus. Well, actually, he didn't even ask him a question. He said, you are a man. We know that you are a man come from God because no one can do the things that you yourself do. And Jesus turned it around right away and said to him, Verily, verily, truly, truly, amen, amen. I want you to get this. No one can see the kingdom of heaven unless he is born again. And you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. You cannot even see the kingdom of heaven unless you are born again. And the way that, a, that, that being born again, Jesus explained it, just like you had nothing to do with your natural birth, God is the initiator. He is the one that calls you. No one can come to the Father unless the Father draws him. Jesus said, I didn't, you didn't choose me. I chose you. I brought you here and God sealed you and he regenerated you and he made you a newborn believer. And so when you cross that line and everything that we talk about from this, play, this point forward, being one mind in Christ, it's very key that we get that. We want to be united. We want to be together. We want to be in one mind and this is kind of the mantra of, this, of our culture today. We all have to be of one mind. We have to all agree. The problem is, is that everybody has all sorts of definitions of what one mind is. We have to agree on this and we have to agree on that. And everybody has to agree with everybody else that, that uh, this, is, this is what we call that the, the unity of, of the people. But we were never called to agree with our culture. We were never called to be tolerant. As a matter of fact, the gospel is very intolerant. The gospel message is for those that God calls and he chooses and he delivers and he redeems and that Jesus Christ paid for. The gospel message is a very offensive message because it calls out sin. And when Paul said that I want you to strive together for this gospel message, we got to understand that the gospel message is what Jesus Christ died for. It's not just any old testimony or God loves you, which he does. It's not going out and feeding the hungry, which we should. It's not, that's not the gospel message. The gospel message is good news. And before you know the good news, as I said, we need to know the bad news. Next week, I'll elaborate a little bit more on that. But Paul goes on to say, he says, um, I, I want you to strive side by side for the faith of the gospel. And then in verse 28, he says, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destructions, but of your salvation and that from God. And I think this verse here kind of prepared us for what was going to happen this last week, that we should not be frightened by our opponents. We should not be frightened by what's going on in the world, by those that when this whole thing got twisted around and changed and Roe versus Wade was was overturned and all of a sudden there's an opposition against the church against God against Christianity there's an opposition now we, we aren't political in that sense we don't stand up for those types of you know rights or wrongs or whatever the case may be we don't get involved I mean individually we may vote and whatnot but as, as I said earlier Jesus was never into politics but he changed the course of the world in just three years, three and a half years. And so what we want to do in the next three and a half years is change the course, at least, of this area of San Bernardino with the gospel message of Jesus Christ. 
And Paul says, and not frightened in anything by your opponents, because the opponents can be pretty frightening. I don't know if you've seen any of the stuff that's been going on, but it can get very frightening as to those things that are going on in the world. He says, but this is what he said. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction because of their opposition to the gospel message to Jesus Christ, because of the gospel message and and the word of God, because all those things that the world hates about the church, about God, about the Bible, it's to their destruction, Paul says. But for you, it's for your salvation and that from God, for it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. And we talked about that last week. Engage in the same conflict that you saw I had and now here that I still have. Paul had been uh, persecuted. Paul had been thrown in prison before. Paul had been beaten up. Paul had been left for dead. And now he's in prison again. And he says, you people in Philippi, you heard about my troubles before. And now what I'm going through. And I'm rejoicing. He says, I'm rejoicing for the gospel message. And so what we have to remember is that when Paul wrote a letter, it was just like you writing a letter. Okay, you write... I don't know. Do you guys still write letters, by the way? <laughs> I don't know. Okay, even if you shot out an email or a text, and, and you, don't, you don't separate it by headings and subheadings. You don't put a chapter verse and another verse. or you don't, you know, And that's the way letters were written back then. It was just one long letter. And it wasn't until about the 1600s. Actually, it was a little bit sooner than that. But it wasn't about the 1600s that all these chapters and verses got put together. And then subtitles to be able to distinguish what it was that Paul was trying to get across. And so in the original Greek, there is no break in between the last verse that I just read and the next verse that I read. And that's important to to get because a lot of people kind of miss this sometimes. And and it talks about Christ's example of humility. And so therefore we lose sometimes, if you just start there, we lose what Paul just said. That's why I went back and I reread it again. And, uh, and it says, once again, in verse 30 of chapter 1, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had, and now here that I still have. So, he says, so in other words, therefore, because of what I just said, because of what he just wrote down, he says, so, if, what I just said, if, looking forward, what's going to happen next? So, if there, are, there is any encouragement in Christ any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy. Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Father in heaven, I pray that we can take this portion of Scripture and not only apply it and understand it, but apply it to our life. Father, we thank you for being so good and patient with us and all that we do. And Lord, we pray that you just lead us by your grace and by your mercy. We pray these things in Jesus' name. And everyone says, amen. Okay, well, let me have you do this. I shouldn't even have this on me right now. Uh, Turn off your phones. (laughs) And hopefully they won't call me back again. I usually drop this off in my office before I come up. Please excuse me. I am sorry about that, folks. You can be on your cell phone as long as you are, you know, following along with the verses or, you know, tagging people, letting them know, hey, you got to check this out. Please like us on Facebook. But if I catch you playing Candy Crush, I'm going to have Ken confiscate your phones. (laughs) Once again. 
have this mind. Single-mindedness is what the, the, the portion of scripture that we're reading about today. Have this one mind, the single mind that, that only comes through Jesus Christ. And we're not talking about what the world has to offer. We are talking about all that the word has to offer. We're not talking about what the culture has to offer us. We're talking about what Christ has to offer us. We're talking about what God has already commanded and mandated and stated. And because he said it, that's just it. We have a lot of people trying to be tolerant. You know, okay, well, you know, maybe we should be tolerant. And that was the demand. They, they wanted you to be tolerant. I want you to be tolerant about the culture. I want you to, and so, okay, well, we're tolerant. We'll, 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 we'll acknowledge it. You know, we're, we're okay. I mean, that's yours, this is mine, and, and that's it. And then after being tolerant for a while, then they says, well, now you have to agree with us. Well, you know, I don't want to agree with you. Now you have to participate. If you don't participate with us, then you're the enemy. And it just grew, and it continues to grow, beloved. So somewhere along the line, you have to make a stand. And if we stay consistent with God's word, that is where we would stand every single time. Amen? And probably the, mo- the greatest danger facing the church at any time is disunity. Is people trying to do their own thing, run their own program, and, and stray away from God's word. This is why we hold God's word in high accord. We say that God's word is infallible. In other words, there's no errors in it. This is why we hold up God's word and we say that this is our instruction manual. This is why we say that this is God's word and there's nothing else to lead us. It's God's Word. When you read God's Word, you are literally, you are literally holding the words of God. And, and if that doesn't cause you to tremble or at least give you some awe respect about God's Word, you have to realize that when you violate this law, God's law, God's Word, then there are consequences for it. And so what we try to do is go as quick, as, as not as quickly, but as carefully as possible Get what Paul is trying to say, what Timothy is trying to say, what, what uh, Peter and everyone else is trying to say, and, and apply it to our life. So he says here, so, if, so, what I just said, if, looking forward, there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind. You see, what, what's happened in the past, as a matter of fact, in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, when Paul wrote to them, that church was just so broken up. It was so divided. There was disunity in all kinds of different places. don't know if you remember in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and 3, Paul is saying, you know, I hear that some of you say that you're from Paul. Some of you are saying you're from Peter. Some of you are saying you're from Apollos. And every one of them had their strong points. And some of you are saying that you're from Jesus himself. You know, some of you follow Paul and some of you follow Apollos, which was he was a very articulate apostle. And he had words that would just, wow, that is so cool. This guy is, is awesome. And then some people say, we're going to follow Peter because he's gung ho and he's ready to go. And, and he takes off a sword and starts cutting people's ears off. That's what I want to do. And there was another group that says, oh, we're just the Jesus group. We're not going to follow anybody but Jesus. That's it. And, and there were there, these divisions that were inside of the church. And Paul says, you know, who am I? Did, did I, did I baptize, did you baptize yourself under my name? Did, did, is, is all these things happening because of what we did? You see, what Apollos did and what I did and what Peter has done, we watered, we've planted, but it is God who causes the growth. And in any church, you're going to have personalities that are stronger than others. And some people will start to follow those personalities. What we need to do is follow Jesus Christ at all times. And he says to them in 2 Corinthians 12, he says, For I fear that perhaps, this is 2 Corinthians 12 too, if you have your Bibles open, if you want to go there. But in 2 Corinthians 12, uh, verse 20, it says, verse 20, I'm sorry. For I, for I fear that perhaps when I come, I may find you not as I wish, and that you may find me not as you wish. 
that perhaps there may be quarreling, jealousy, anger, hostility, slander, gossip, conceit, and disorder. Any one of those things. And here are the things that Paul was noticing in this church in Corinth that they had. Any one of those things can cause division within a church quickly and tear it up. In 2 Corinthians 12, 21, the next verse, he says, I fear that when I come again, my God may humble me before you, and I may have to mourn over many of those who sinned earlier and have not repented of the impurity, sexual immorality, and sensuality that they have practiced. In essence, it starts with the quarreling. It starts with the jealousy. It starts with the anger, hostility, and it builds up, and it just starts to mount up. Because once it's easy to cross the line in sin, then it's easy to cross the next line and the next line. And so with Paul, with Paul, every church was so precious to him. He wrote to the people in Romans, in Rome. In Romans chapter 15, verses 5 and 7, he said this, May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another, in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. With one voice, with one heart, with one mind, and with various backgrounds and various things and beliefs and political backgrounds and all these different things that are starting to come into the culture and now bringing into the church, it, 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 can, it can convolute, it can really just confuse what the Bible is trying to tell us. Isn't God love? He says, yeah, well, God is love. Of course he is. Well, shouldn't we love everyone? You know, doesn't God hate the sin, but, but he loves the sinner? Well, that's true, he does. However, it's the sin that he casts into the, in the hell along with the sinner. And, and it's the sinner, not the sin and the sin, but it's the sinner that's going to be separated from God for all eternity if he doesn't repent or if she doesn't repent. In your outlines in, a, in a, 1 Corinthians 1, 1.10, it says this, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you may be united in the same mind and the same judgment. And again, in chapter 13, verse 11, he says, Finally, brothers, rejoice. Aim for restoration. Comfort one another. Agree with one another. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. And then to the people in Galatia, he writes, Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. And so he's, he's going to all these churches. He's writing these letters to all these churches because he knows that, you know what? We're all sinful people. We're all broken. We are. We're vessels that have been broken. Life has been tough on us. It's difficult to trust and difficult to, to connect with a group or with another family member. It's difficult sometimes to even trust somebody that's burned us. And, and Paul is saying, you have to come together and agree like-mindedly on what the Word of God says. Politics, social issues, all of those things are out there. And everybody wants you to agree with them. But the one agreement that we need to have is in the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Being of one mind in Christ, being in one mind in Christ. And for, for the believers, for those that Jesus Christ died for, it's imperative. It, it's essential. It, it, is, it, it is transforming. It is life transforming to be one mind. And it's difficult when we let all these other attitudes and things get in the way. When we let all the other, uh, our own ideology, what we want, what we desire, to have. Well, what does the Bible say is what we go to first and foremost. What is the Word of God saying? And this was Jesus Christ's prayer. The night before he was crucified, on the day that he was betrayed, 
While he was with his disciples, he prayed what is called the priestly prayer or the, or, or the Lord's Prayer. This is really the Lord's Prayer. I know a lot of us, we call the Lord's Prayer, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. We call it the Our Father. But that prayer really is for the disciples. It's more of the, the disciples' prayer. The disciples, as Jesus teaches to pray the way John taught his disciples to pray. But when Jesus prayed, this is what he prayed for. He says in John 17, verses 20 through 21, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. In other words, Jesus was already looking forward. He's already commissioned. He's going to commission these men, and he's going to send them out. And these men are going to go out and change the world. And the word that they proclaimed, Jesus says, I want them to become one. He says that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. You know what the most tragic thing in the world is? The most tragic thing in the world is for the world to see the church bickering amongst amongst itself, not agreeing, not coming together. Now, I understand there are different churches, there are different denominations, there are different types of uh, ideologies and beliefs and whatnot, but there should be at least within the body, within the local body, within the one body that you commit to, that you decide to say, you know, this is where I want to grow. This is where I want to develop. In that body, there should be a unity of this is who we are. This is what we practice. This is what we read. This is how we believe. This is how we pray. This is, and we take it from scripture. And sometimes people come and, and, and you know, they, they try to mix things up and, and we want to keep the world out. And we want to keep the word in so we can send it out. And the word is what we practice and we send it out into the world. And our prayer is that the word transforms the world. But if we have battlings within us, bickering, fighting, arguments, and we'll talk a little bit more about that here in just a bit. But that was Jesus' prayer from the very beginning. He wanted more than anything else for us to be as one. In Ephesians chapter 4, Verses 1 through 3, the last uh, verse that you have there, is, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Last week, we talked about um, living in a manner that you have been called. Let the manner of your life be worthy of the gospel. Today, he's not saying the manner. He's saying, let your walk, let you walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another, in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. It is Paul's, it is God's, it is Jesus Christ's desire. God has stated it. He said it from the very beginning. You guys are one. Jesus Christ prayed that we be one. And Paul is just reiterating that we need to maintain, we need to be eager In other words, this is something that I must do. I must be eager. You must be eager to maintain, to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. And it's easy to do when you are a new creation, when you are filled with the Holy Spirit. That's the one thing that the Holy Spirit does. He unites us. He seals us. He brings us together. We're like-minded. And and you you come together as a church, as a body, to be one body, one-minded, like-minded. So what what is Paul telling us here? What we ought to do is, number one, on your outlines, I must desire. I must desire to seek unity with others. That's the one thing that he's called us to do. I need a desire to do that. When, When you become a new believer, born again, when you understand that you've been bought at a price, a price that is worth more than silver or gold, but at a price that costs Jesus Christ his blood, 
When you recognize that what Jesus Christ did for you because of my sin, of your sin, because of what, what we have done, and he himself atoned. We call that the substitutionary atonement. He atoned. He substituted himself for me. The things that happened to him, the wrath and the anger of God upon him was destined for me, was destined for you because we're sinners. But Jesus Christ voluntarily, without making a sound like a sheep led to slaughter, took that penalty for me. And what he did is the Bible calls it propitiation. He propitiated. In other words, he appeased the wrath of God for you and me. Many times I talk to people about salvation. I've talked to a few people about that. And I ask them, you know, says, so what do you think it takes to get to heaven? If you were to die right now, would you make it to heaven? And most people say, well, yeah, of course. I, well, what does it take to get to heaven? Well, I just got to be good. I got to be, you know, I got to make sure that I go to church. I read. I don't do that often, but I do it as often as I can. I read my Bible. I pray, make my prayers. I think about God all the time. So in essence, what you're saying is that all you have to do is to be good. I says, yeah. And God will let me in. I mean, I might not make it all the way, but I'm sure God's going to, you know, overlook all my bad stuff with my good stuff. And, and he'll weigh me out and, and he'll just lower the standards just enough so I can jump right over and get in. You know, I, I'm sure that that's what God's going to do. The problem is that's not biblical. It's not biblical at all. As a matter of fact, one of the things that I always respond with is, this, so, so you know that Jesus Christ died on the cross, the penalty he endured, the things that he, that he had to go through. To pay for your sin. All that which he did, well then basically, if you can do it all on your own, what Jesus Christ did was a waste of time. You see, if all I have to do is be a good person, a pastor, read the Bible, preach it to people, talk to people, visit people in the hospital, do funerals, do weddings, and, and just be a part of their life. And, and if I can do all of that, then, then I didn't really need Jesus Christ. And what Jesus did on the cross was a waste of time. Somebody has to pay. And when we talk about this unity that we're talking about, Jesus paid for that unity. It is a valuable unity. As a matter of fact, Paul goes on to say this. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, once again, we're not talking about this unity within the, within the world, within the culture, within all these, the governments and in politics. We're talking about in Christ. Any comfort from love, the love that, that God sent his son to die on the cross for sinners like me. You know that song, Amazing Grace? How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. That song is about me. God saved me, a wretch. I am that wretch. Paul says, I am the worst of sinners. You know, that was before I came along. (laughs) And maybe James came along and Ken came along. You know, that was before we came along. But he himself, he was a murderer. I've never been a murderer. And I I don't know. I'm not even going to go that far. I don't know, but I don't want to know. Uh, you know, I've never, I've never done those types of things that Paul had done. But, you know, Paul called himself the worst sinner. And it is by grace that he was saved. And because he understood that he deserved wrath, he went out proclaiming the gospel. Well, when we talked about Paul here not too long ago, we mentioned that Paul was a man that was on fire for God in the pharisaical circles. He was rising to the top. He was the cream of the crop. He was well-learned. He was fine-tuned. He was ready to be the next high priest. And on his way to Damascus, his name was Saul, on his way to Damascus, he had an encounter with Jesus Christ. And at that point in time, God transformed his life. And he had genuine repentance. You see, he thought he was doing a service for God. He really believed with all his heart and might 
that, that he was doing what was right. He was actually participating. The Bible says that he was breathing murderous threats. And his whole demeanor of who he was was against this group called the Way that had circumvented God and brought Jesus Christ in. And now you have these two gods, according to what Paul was believing at that time. He was on his way to Damascus to capture some more Christians that he heard about. And he's on his way there, breathing murderous threats, believing that what he was doing was right, feeling and his will was just pushing him forward to accomplish this task. And he met Jesus Christ. And beloved, if you have a genuine encounter with Jesus Christ, you must repent. And for Paul, it meant to repent from what he thought. You know, this is what I believed about God, and and this is the way I'm going. This is what I felt towards people that opposed me. This is the way I've got to feel now. This is what I believed of people that were around me and the things that I were doing, but but that wasn't correct. Paul had a genuine repented attitude. And for people to say that they believe Jesus Christ and there's no repentance, that life is being led and lived in the manner of which it's continued to be lived, I've been reading a lot of articles and a lot of things about this Roe versus Wade, and people are just, I mean, genuine Christians, we should let women do what they want to do. You know, I mean, it's their body. And, I mean, there's Christians, supposedly they're Christians. It's, it's murder. It's murder. And, and, you know, and I understand that some people have been caught up in the past with this, and some of you that are listening online. And I understand that maybe you have, in, in yourself, have done something like that. But Paul was a murderer as well. There's forgiveness at the cross. There's forgiveness for you. And God is willing to forgive and set you free from that, whatever it is that, that seems to, to hold you down and made you believe that this is what it is. Now, I know that this conversion therapy that doesn't relate to this particular topic is frowned against. It's even somewhat illegal in some places. You can't even do that because now it's called hate speech. But conversion therapy is basically sharing the gospel with somebody. I'm a, I'm a sinner and I'm lost. And because I was a sinner and I'm lost, I need to be saved. Saved from what? The wrath of God. And when, when Paul says, you were saved, and this is what you were going for, this is what was happening, but God, in his infinite love, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish. Eternal damnation should not perish. Die in his sin should not perish. Be separated from God for all eternity should not perish but have everlasting life. And there's genuine repentance when a person comes to Christ. Just like it happened with Paul, just like it happened with Peter, just like it happened with Nicodemus, just like it happened with all the other believers that believed in God that didn't have all the pieces put together. When Jesus Christ comes together, He makes you one with the Father. He makes you one with the Son. He makes you one with the Spirit, and it comes together, I understand. I understand that I'm a sinner and I need saving. He goes on to say, if there's any participation in the spirit, that's what keeps it all together. Any affection and sympathy. Complete my joy, Paul says, by being of the same mind. One mind, only one mind. And, and only one mind as he continues to go forward. As I read earlier, I am no longer, well, this one I don't think I read, John 17, 11, And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world. And I am coming to you, Holy Father. Keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. 
And we read the other one on the back of your outline in John 17, verses 20 and 21. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. The word believe has been thrown around so easily now. All you have to do is believe in Jesus Christ. All you have to do is believe and say a prayer. All you have to do is believe, believe, believe. And, and that's true. Unfortunately, a lot of people just think, well, I believe in Jesus. I do. You know, and I, I, of course I do. I, what if I told you that even the demons believe? What if I told you that not only do they believe, but they understand who God is? They, they know theology. They know that when Jesus Christ came up to that demon-possessed man, and the demon came up to Jesus Christ, and he bowed, he fell on his face. The, the word that was used is prostrated himself. He, he fell into worship. And he says, what have you to do with us, O son of the most high living God? That demon knew exactly who Jesus Christ was. His Christology was correct. As a matter of fact, his eschatology is the end time understanding of what was going to happen. Are you here to torment us before the appointed time? Jesus, it's not even time yet. What are you doing here? If we know we got this, this appointed time to meet with you and with God, we know this. And they believed. They had their Christology right. They had their eschatology right. They had their worship right. They knew they had to bow before the king. Every knee is going to bow. Every nation, whether they want to or not, whether they believe him yet or not, everyone's going to bow and say, wow, that is God. And that's a promise. And, and when Paul is saying, I want you to be like-minded in love and having this same love with one another. He says, I want you to believe. When Jesus said, believe, he said, believe. When he didn't just say to, to know about this, that's intellectual assent. The belief that you and I are called to believe in is a belief that God really exists and he saved me and you. It's, it's a belief that changes your mind, changes your life, changes your attitude, changes who you are. And in John 14, 16, he says, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. And that is the Spirit himself. Number two, I must desire, first of all, number one, to seek unity with others. Number two, I must decide to understand others. I threw in an extra word there. I think I changed that. In other words, take out that and. I must decide to understand others. By being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. I, I need to try to get to understand the people that I'm, I'm, I'm working with, that I'm, that I'm dealing with. Because Paul goes on to say a little bit later that there's things that I have to really just get rid of, of myself. First of all, in Romans 8, 5, he says, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the of the spirit being by being of the same mind paul is referring to being of the same mind of those of you that set your mind on the things of the spirit you see the things of the world the things that the world kind of throw, throws at us for those in romans 8 5 for those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh and he goes on to explain what these are anger strife envy uh, uh you know sexual immorality, all these things that the world already has a grip on many people. This anger, this resentment, this bitterness, this divisiveness, all these things, Paul lines them out. See, when you have your mind set on the world, on the, on the world and on the culture instead of Christ, then that's what starts to happen. We focus more on your weaknesses, on your sin. You focus more on my sin. Yes, I still have sin in my life. I'm a sinner saved by grace. I'm not perfect. Some of you have pointed that out to me. Thank you. 
I'm not going to get mad at you. It's all right. You know, and, and it's, it's not like it was before. You know, I'm not, but I'm growing and I'm developing. And, and I've got to sometimes just check myself. And I have accountability partners that help me check myself. And each one of us need to be able to check ourselves without getting all up in arms. Because we want to hone in on each other. And as iron sharpens iron, we build one another up. And so Paul says, when you focus on the flesh, in other words, when you focus on the things of this world, the things that have an an attachment to our flesh, and Paul says, I need you to focus on the things that are not from here. As a matter of fact, if you go over to chapter 4 in Philippians, very quickly with me, in uh, in chapter 4, verse 8, when we get there, we're going to really just jump into this quite a bit. Because Paul, you know, is talking about this unity. And there was this disunity between two women that was happening within the church. He says, help them agree. Help them in all of this. And, and this might be the, the impetus of the letter as to why it was that he even sent this letter. This division between any, any bodies. But there was two women that were really at odds at each other. And we really don't know what they were at odds at, at about. But it was important enough for Paul to sit down and write a letter and say, talk to them. Help them come together to grips as to what it is that needs to happen. And he says finally in verse 8, Brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things, which you have learned and received and heard and seen in me. Practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. You see, and and Paul, we'll dive into this, you know, word for word, and we'll look at it a little bit deeper. But Paul is saying, you know, there's some things that you should be thinking about. And and I've said this many times before, that that when we think on negative things, and we think about our problems, and we think upon those things, you see, our our thoughts shape our mind. You you know, what we think about shapes our behavior. And what it shapes our minds, it shapes our feelings, and it shapes our feelings, and it shapes our actions. What we think is what we feel, and what we feel is what we do. It's just psychology, basically is what it is. Whatever you're thinking is what you're going to feel. Whatever you feel is what you're going to, how you're going to act. If you think you're crazy, you're going to feel crazy. Guess what? You're going to act crazy. If you think you're funny, you're going to feel funny. You're going to act funny. If you think you're lazy, you're going to feel lazy. You're going to be lazy. If you think you're dumb, you're going to feel dumb. Guess what? You're going to act dumb. If you think you're worthless, you can put any other verb in there. If you th- whatever it is, if you think you're worthless, you're going to feel worthless. And guess what? You're going to walk around the world like Eeyore. Was it Eeyore or Igor? Eeyore, woe is me. I'm just depressed. If you feel depressed, if you think depressed, guess what? You're going to be depressed. And this is why Paul says, don't think on those things, on the flesh. Think on those things that are worthy. Your mind cannot process both at the same time. It's either going to be one or the other. And what I've said before is that, you know, if you focus on your problems, what happens is you get worry out of that. You get worried about all the problems that you have. You're focusing on all the negative and all the problems that you have. And, and, but if you focus on God, that's called worship. When you focus on problems, you call it, we call it worry. But when you focus on God, that's called worship. And you don't have to be singing. You could. But focusing your mind on God is worship. It's meditating. It's loving God for who He is. Worship and worry have no way of being able to communicate with each other. And they, are, they're, 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 they can't mix. It's like water and oil. They can't mix. And when you try to put both of them together, you're going to be... Yeah, a lot of people can have a split personality, but that's not what God called you to do. Focus on God. Amen? Focus on those things and, and be of one mind. 
and live according to the spirit, set their minds on the things above. We'll get there in Philippians 4.8. Look at the next verse in Colossians chapter 3. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. Very pointed, very articulated. Paul says, look, you want to seek, put your mind up there. But I've been trying to say all this morning, focus on the word, not the world. Focus on Christ, not the culture. Focus on God, not the government. Focus on what he's doing. You see, we, we have a high view of God. And we know that God is sovereign. And we know that he is in total control. And we know that all the things that happen, happen and he allows them to happen. Not that he causes these things to happen. I don't believe it was in God's nature to cause children to be murdered all these years. Over 60 million children is what I understand that were killed. I have a, a survey here that says, you know, that, well, you know, what about the people that were, were raped or incest? Or what about all those things that have happened? You know, uh, according, and this, this, this uh, survey was taken back in 1987, and then it was taken again in 2004. This is an old survey, mind you, but it's basically about the same way now it is. Women's abortions decision rarely stem from rape or incest. 74% of the people that had an abortion having a baby would dramatically change their life. 74%. 73% said, I can't afford a baby now. 48% said, I don't want to be a single mother or having a relationship problems. 38% said, have completely, I have completely completed my childbearing years. I, I just can't do it anymore. 1% were victims of rape. Half a percent was a pregnancy as a result of incest. And it's unfortunate that those are the two things, and they do happen. Beloved, they do. And, and I know they do. And, and they've happened in the past, and I'm not belittling anybody that that might have happened to. And I'm not even trying to, you know, if anybody's ever had one of these situations in their life, these abortions. The, the fact of the matter is, if it's happened, God didn't cause that to happen. He didn't. He's allowing all things to take place. Why? I don't know, but we know He's sovereign. He has to be. He's in control. He, he's not violating somebody else to make them do what they want to do or don't do. But the choice is totally up to you. And when you come to a point in your life that you feel like you can't go any further, then we cry out to Jesus. Okay, Lord, you need to take control now. This is why the songs that we sang were, I believe, somewhat important for us to, to understand that he heals the brokenhearted, that Jesus is coming again soon. He's, he's my sweet, sweet song. These are songs that you can put in your mind, and when you start getting to the point where you, you don't know where to go, what's happening, lift these songs up. Memorize Scripture, always. Scripture is always good. But abortion was always intended and always thought of to be for those victims of rape and of incest. And now we're finding out that 1% or half a percent were actually abortions of such a case. All the other ones were out of convenience. And I, I don't understand. I still don't. And most believers don't. I, we still don't understand how all that works out and how that plays in the, in the God's economy. But we do know one thing in the Old Testament People thought that they were worshiping God when they sacrificed their children to Molech. They would have this huge statue, a bronze statue, and they would put the babies on the arms over a high fire on top of the, the, the fire. And, and as, the, as the babies would be laid on there, they would scream and yell and cry. And, and, and they would pound the drums a lot louder so they wouldn't hear the screaming and the yelling of the drums. And they would just take babies and sacrifice them to Molech. This has been going on for centuries. 
What, what is happening even now is, is a form of idolatry. It's a form of worship to Molech, in a sense. Children are being sacrificed to the god of Molech. And it's, it's that purpose, that reason people say, why does God kill people in the Old Testament? Because they were doing stupid things. They were doing things that they knew they shouldn't be doing, but they were doing it anyways. But that's just the way they were. Yeah, God didn't make them like that. God didn't create you to be that type of a person. God created you to worship God and enjoy Him forever. And in the process of worshiping God, you come to find out life is valuable, even a child's life. So number three, I just want to finish with this. Number three, I must determine to focus on others. I must determine to focus on others. Paul says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. I couldn't find a more pointed verse for this week. I really could. You know, it's kind of the way it kind of fell, fell together. We didn't find out about the decision of Roe versus Wade until this last week. But here, if nothing else, here is a verse that can tell you right here what Paul is saying. Do nothing from selfish ambition. You know, and, and I know that there's medical procedures that happen because of, you know, things that are going to happen to the baby. One of my daughters, uh, they were told, she was told that, you know, the baby is going to be premium. It's going to be probably born pretty soon, the way things are going. And, and she's not going to have all of her organs. We can find out that one of them is already missing. One of her kidneys is already missing. And they, they advised her and says, you know, it's time. Maybe you should think about abortion. She's like, I'm going to abort the baby. It's God's going to determine that. You know, but it could be detrimental to your life. Well, you know, if it's detrimental to my life, God's going to determine that. And she, of course, she had this beautiful granddaughter we have. I remember one day when she was like maybe three or four, we were having breakfast. I said, Mia, you got to finish your breakfast. Oh, I can't. Why not? Oh, I only have one kidney. Okay. <laughs> you're, you're using this way too often. I only have one kidney. She'll use that excuse for everything. And it's up to God. He's the one that decides. You know, and if, and if that's the case, and they're making this push for trying to save the child or the mother or whatever the case may be, it's up to God. And so, so what happened to all these babies? And what about the, those that were uh, miscarried or stillborn? What happened about, the, what about all these babies? Every child, every, every individual, every person, every child at conception has a purpose in this world. So you might be asking, so how does that balance out in God's economy? How does that work? Well, first of all, I must determine to focus on others, not to do things out of selfish ambition or conceit. One of the things that takes place is that, you know, we, we focus on, well, you know, it's, it's going to get in the way. I, I wasn't prepared for this. And me, 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 my, 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 I, I, I. It's my body, my choice. And that's what ends up happening. My body, my choice. Unfortunately, it's not your body, as most of you believe. It's, it's the child's body. God gave that child at conception life, at conception. And we know now, I mean, with just the modern technology, as a matter of fact, in the Bible, in the Old Testament, David says, you knit me in my mother's womb. You knew me before I was even born or conceived. You knew who I was. So how does that equate? How does that add up? I think that, and, and this is just my thinking, my thought. I, I can't give you a, a, a biblical verse for this, but I think this is what happens. I think that when, when a child is born and it is aborted, it just shows the heart of the person that is willing to do that. It just shows the wickedness. We are wicked people, beloved. As many times as people tell you, oh, we're, just, we're good people, but we make bad mistakes. 
We do stupid things. No, the Bible says that none of us are righteous. No, not one. There is no one who seeks after God. There is no one. All of us have gone astray. Each one of us are marred with sin. And that depravity that, that we all share, that depravity, we're all depraved. And that depravity causes us not to seek after God, but unto our own selfish interests. And those children that have been killed, it was because of selfish interests. It's because I want the best for me. Not for you, not for the child, not for anyone, but for me. And so what happens? Well, all that does is it shows the heart of the culture, just like it did in the Old Testament. Just like when God wiped out the world in Noah's day. Because every heart was bent to do evil. Today, every heart is bent to do evil. And Jesus Christ is going to rectify that eventually. But before that happens, at the end, all this evil has to take place. All this lawlessness. And, every, and so, if, again, if anything, if anything, and there might be more theological basis upon this and as to what's happening, but the way I understand it, it's kind of like voting. You see, you don't vote people in and you don't vote people out. All voting does is it reflects the heart of the nation. See, the Bible says in Romans chapter 13 that it is God who installs and raises up the leaders, the government leaders. He raises them up. Why did he raise up the last leader or this leader or the next leader? God has an intended purpose. He's the one that puts them in the place. I vote, I go, and I reflect. My heart is reflected on my ballot, or supposed to be at least. <laughs> you know, my, my heart is reflected on what I want. I, I try to choose one that, that is as close to Christian values as I can find. And it's getting harder and harder to do nowadays. But, you know, we're still called to be good citizens. And, and, and with whatever the outcome is, it reflects, it reflects the heart of the nation. A very quick story. And this is only because um, some of you might know this and some of you may not. But when we started this church here several years ago, we were under the Southern Baptist umbrella. And as Southern Baptists, we are what's called an autonomous church. We operate and we work the way that this church is autonomous. We're basically non-denominational, you know, basically, because we do the things that how the Lord leads us and how we govern and how we, and every church is different. So, and, and what's happened, one of the reasons that we uh, were Southern Baptist, uh, where we are, is because of, well, number one, they gave us this building. This is your building. Use it as you want. And they have no ties to it. It's ours, free and clear. The whole property and all that. And so when we came here, we, we said, okay, well, we're going to continue on in the same, the Southern Baptists or the people that were here before us, they built it. We remodeled it, of course. And, and they are the ones that have been, they're very, very solid in the word, or at least they have been. A couple of years ago, they had a vote on the convention floor and trying to you know, see who the next leader of the convention was going to be. And it had always been very conservative, very conservative. And last couple of years ago, uh, as a matter of fact, last year, I'm sorry, 2019? Yeah, 2020, yeah 20, 2019. In 2019, they voted, and, and they picked up the, the conservative one, but it was almost like a split decision. It was like 48 to 52, and of course, the conservative one, and, and so he was the leader of the Southern Baptist Convention. This year, this year, it took a really deep turn, and it became more liberal than conservative, over 60-some percent to 48 percent or something like that. And what's happening now is that it's making a, uh, and when I say liberal, uh, these issues, uh, a lot of the issues that we can talk about later, but, but it, it's becoming not, they're, they're getting to the point where they're reading scripture and they're making it say something that it doesn't say. And people are okay with it. You know, it's just the way it is. So right now, 
we are looking at, what are we going to do? The building they gave it to us, I mean, it's worth a lot of money. Um, you know, everything we do has been always in association with them. What are we going to do? And I, I just ask you, and I've been, this is not something that I've been just thinking about just recently. This has been something going on now for several years. And I need you to pray for your pastor and the leadership team as to what it is that we're going to do next to help us to move forward. Because what we want to do is we don't want to do anything out of selfish ambition or conceit. But in humility, we want to count others more significant than ourselves. And so Paul finishes up this portion of Scripture by saying, Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. My interests have no place in this church. It's your interests that I'm looking at in Christ. Your interests have no place in this church. It's other people's interests in Christ. Okay, remember that. It's in Christ, not in the culture. Uh, you know, I, I heard this last week. Somebody said, well, you know, the, there's a new norm in a lot of churches. Yeah, you know, the, the culture is trying to normalize everything. <laughs> you know, well, that's what churches are doing. It doesn't make it right just because churches are doing that. You know, we, we have to look at Scripture and find what the Bible says about what we should do next. First and foremost, the first thing we do is we want to love God and enjoy Him forever. We want to bring glory to God through our lives and enjoy Him forever. We want to understand and seek God and recognize that He is in total control. We want to understand and realize that the Bible is without error. We want to understand that the church, that, that man is, is flawed. But through the grace of God, we can be, have salvation and enjoy Him forever. We want, we want people to know that, that there is salvation in no other name than Jesus Christ. And we want to do the mission of the church is to reach and to teach and to proclaim Jesus Christ throughout this culture, throughout our world, and in our life, we pray. May I ask you to stand. Father, the task is before us. The job seems to be getting harder and more difficult. The opposition seems to be coming at us. And it seems, Lord, that there seems to be more and more opposition. And I pray, Father, that as I pray this and I, I say this, I pray that we can stand firm. That we can stand firm and let nothing move us because we know that our labor in you is not in vain. Help us to be like Paul. Be like-minded. Paul was praying for a church and developing a church. And he, he had seen the same uh, infection in the other churches. And, and he saw what it could do. And I thank you, God, that you keep us like-minded. That we stay on point in your word. There is no other revelation. There is nothing else that we can look at. So thank you, Father, once again for that promise and the power that you give us to fulfill it. So, Lord, as we dismiss ourselves today from this place and never from your presence, that you, that we, you help us to, to live our lives that bring glory to you, not thinking about anybody else, ourselves, but other people and others as well. So, Father, once again, we just thank you and we praise you. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. And everyone says, Amen. Amen. Thank you. I'll be up here for a moment if you'd like to come up and have a word of prayer.